I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello, it's Tuesday, January 21st. I'm Andy Brassel. She's Jules Breach, and this is Jules and Andy on Football Ramble Daily. This week, we'll be talking about the phenomenon that is Adama Traore. We'll be looking at the full slate of Premier League fixtures this week with Jules telling you where to get some fantasy league joy. And of course, we'll be looking at the actual football too. Also, we'll be looking at your correspondence as always through the various channels. You can get at us at Jules Bridge, at Andy Brassel, at Football Ramble and Jules and Andy at FootballRambleDaily.com on the old email. What a weekend, Jules. Did you get over that coffin fit? I did get over the coughing fit I had on air. It was terrible on BT Sport. Do you know what? I don't think anyone heard me because I've got a little secret button that I can mute my mic with. Which... This is such a revelation. About I know the you secret didn't know button. about this until no. I told you about my secret button. It's um, yeah, a little button I have on the right hand side of me on the sofa. So just just for people who can't actually see us, you're indicating like a sort of like thing... a detonator. What I was going to say, the thing that like whether people used to change the picture oh, right, behind yeah, them. Yeah, that's a lot more. Uh sophisticated than my, my <laughs> button to detonate the world. You're, 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 I'm coming at it from a television perspective. You're coming at it from a, a diehard perspective. Literally. Christmas is over now, Jules. We can't talk about diehard anymore. But yes, yeah, so I've got this button. I can uh, press it and it means I can speak to my producer right. and say to him, have you got any tweets for me on Adama Traore or whoever it is that I want to talk about? So yeah, it's quite handy. So you do it's use it for like professional items? Not, I do, but no, then the other day... Get me a lottery ticket or no. get me some Skittles. But the other day I was having a coughing fit and I thought there's nothing worse for anyone that's watching the telly at home to hear someone cough. And there's nothing you can do when you're on the telly. I can't just walk off. So I thought the best thing I can do here is mute my mic and just my producer is just going to hear me coughing for the next few minutes. But it worked a treat. He didn't mind too much. He just muted me himself. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Best button on Twitter, <laughs> to be fair, <laughs> it some is. would say. Uh, but yeah, weekend was quite nice, actually, because I worked on Saturday, obviously, coughed a lot on air, and then I went out because it's January. It tends to be the month where everyone does some kind of special thing. I know a couple of people that are doing veganuary, not eating yes, any meat yes. or any dairy for the month. Um, and a load of people always do dry January. Not me. Absolutely not. Because... <laughs> uh, one of my best friends' birthdays is in January, so we went out yes. Saturday night, definitely had a few cocktails. And it's also my niece's birthday. She's only four, so didn't necessarily need any cocktails, but also <laughs> had some drinks on Sunday. Um, so I could never do dry January, and I applaud anyone that's got 21 days in without a drink so far. Yeah. Mm. What quite, did you get up to? Quite an effort. Yeah. I, I didn't drink on Saturday. No. That, that's, that's your question. Um on Saturday, I went bowling and enjoyed the fact that uh, Wimbledon beat Peterborough United, which I suppose was a bit of a surprise result. But it's not really about the football because obviously the thing that's preoccupying minds at AFC Wimbledon at the moment is meeting the stadium funding shortfall due to uh, open new Plough Lane Stadium at the uh, start of next season. And, and there is that um, financial shortfall to make up. So Wimbledon fans being Wimbledon fans... Um, we're looking at finding a way to to change that without taking outside investment because it's very important to me and a lot of people that the club remains very much our club. So also 
at the weekend on Saturday at the Peterborough game, um, as important as the win, um, was the fact that the Plough Lane bond was launched. So it's a way that supporters and I guess AFC Wimbledon sympathisers um, can loan the club some money at a zero or low interest rate for the next five, 10 or, or, or 20 years. And it's been off to a great start. Um, half a million has been pledged already. The oh, target's, wow. target's five million, which could make quite a dent in um, any potential loan. In terms of loan repayments, it means we might actually have some money for players at the end of it. So there might actually be a team to play in that wonderful <laughs> new stadium, um, which would be pretty good. And, you know, it's, it's just tantalising at the moment because you can see the new stadium being built up deck by deck the main stand is going up it's starting to look like a football stadium it's so close and if we can get people together to contribute and get it over the line it'll be absolutely fantastic um i mean if you don't have the money to contribute just spread the word it's um www.plowlanebond.com and um yeah it's a worthy cause obviously in my opinion i, I would say that yeah, but ob- it's obviously time for wimbledon fans afc wimbledon are, are, are not just a club, they're a, a club that believes in the importance of football supporters and and their role in the game. So it's, it's something obviously that I feel very passionately about. So of course I enjoyed the ramble as much as I always do. Uh, yesterday, they didn't touch on Southampton two Wolves three though. I know and what it, a game that was as well. It was incredible. It's the first game on match of the day, and I have to say, if you looked at the slate of games before Saturday or on Saturday morning or whatever, there's no way you would have predicted that being the first one out the gate, would you? No, no or, way. On match of the day. I suppose that's the beauty of the Premier League, that element of surprise. Um, even in a season in which some believe the quality of the Premier League's not been amazing, there's still be plenty of excitement elsewhere um, outside the, the brilliance of Liverpool just killing off the drama mm-hmm. of, the, of, of the race. And this was fantastic, of course, with Southampton being in such great form recently. And with Wolves, every time people want to say, oh, they're knackered, they've got nothing <laughs> left in the tank. Yeah. Adama Traore rolls up his sleeves. Well, he doesn't roll up his sleeves because he's so muscly. There's nowhere for those they sleeves to go. roll up yeah. anymore. And uh, says, right, we'll, we'll show you. Now, I wanted to talk about Adama Traore. Because here is a player who's what an interesting career arc he's had. I mean, like, bear in mind he was really fated when he was in the the, the Barcelona academy. He was a, a a Barcelona boy who came up through uh, La Masia. Um, they decided to sell him off to Aston Villa, which I mean he was still a teenager, but people thought of him as having pretty big potential then. But he did arrive at Aston Villa under Tim Sherwood, which you know was a, a particular beast I don't think there's any doubt about that and there are a lot of good players for whom things didn't work there you look at Jordan Veritu who plays for, for for Roma now for example a few others who've, who've, who've gone on to do to do good things ha- having not really found the right conditions to to, to make it work at, at, at the time ended up at Borough and you know it always looked like an entertainer but even after moving for Wolves now I must admit when Wolves a couple of years ago paid 18 million for him I thought my God, that is a lot of money for someone who is exciting, but where's the actual product? Yeah. This season, what has happened to him? I mean, it's been incredible. It's an amazing, amazing rise, isn't it? This yeah. season and the 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 way he's impressed everyone. You talk about his time um, at Aston Villa and Middlesbrough. Now, I didn't see a great deal of him when he was at Aston Villa. The the time where I kind of 
noticed who Adama Traore was was when he was at Middlesbrough and it's because my dad's a Borough fan and I remember my dad saying God we've got this player and he's so quick so I started paying attention to him then and my dad was right this guy has ridiculous pace lightning going forward but the one thing I always thought about Adama Traore when in his Middlesbrough days is yes he's got the speed but creatively does he provide enough does he always pick out the right pass is his delivery that great and and it was that kind of final product that I always felt was just slightly missing when he was at Middlesbrough and now that he's sort of had a few months in the Premier well particularly this season I'm talking about yeah. to kind of get into the team because well, I was a regular start of this yeah, season because I think yeah. it didn't I don't think he started a game this season in the Premier League till maybe the sixth or seventh week. He mm. definitely wasn't a regular starter for the first few weeks of the season. And now there's absolutely no way I think Nuno Espirito Santo can leave him out of the team starting eleven because he's so important now. And and now he does have all those things that I thought he was missing before when I watched him at Middlesbrough. He now does have that end product. He now does look up before he makes that pass and he picks out the right player. And I just think that now he is... He's that one player that I think when the opposition are facing Wolves, they'd be looking at him and thinking, how are we going to stop him? Well, well that's it. Uh, Tony Cascarino talked about him in yesterday's uh, time saying he's the most dangerous player outside the top two. And at the top of it, uh, Tony says, uh, five years ago, Adama Traore was a raw 18-year-old with lightning pace, but no understanding of game management. Aston Villa, you would see him turn on the afterburners and beat his man. The problem was he was playing with his head down. And Tony's absolutely right. It's not abnormal. For an eighteen-year-old, I think now because you know how old is he now? Um, twenty-three. Twenty-three. Yeah. Uh, because we have like some precocious teenagers in the game that they're not secrets to us because we see football from all over the world. I mean, last weekend we just saw Erling Braut Holland and that incredible debut for for Dortmund against Augsburg, and he's just nineteen years old. Of course, could have ended up at Manchester United and is 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 doing it for Dortmund instead. And I, I do think because of exceptions like him and. Jaden Sancho, we can start to think that that's normal. It's not normal. It's far more normal for a player to show potential when they're 18 or 19 and then develop later on when they've played some games. Obviously, there's not really that room to develop at a club like Barcelona. And it's taken him time to find his his right outlet, his right situation clearly he's worked very hard in his game but I think you have to look at Nuno and his, his his staff as well the coaching that they've clearly done with him the information that they've got him to take on board he's such an intelligent footballer it's not just about the pace and I think anyone who's ever played football at any level whether it be like in the Premier League or with your mates can tell you there are a few harder things than running at full pelt and then getting your head up and making the right decision with the ball is super difficult. So for any player to do that is 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 tough. And he's got to the point where he's mastered. You, you look at the assists of the weekend against Southampton, especially that one for Raul Jimenez winner, just getting there and then just waiting for the right time to make the pass, making exactly the right pass. Patience, so, isn't it? So difficult. He's learned how something. to be patient now, yeah. hasn't he? And I think that that was one of the. That's obviously one of the things that they've worked on at Wolves in, mm. in terms of the coaching of him. Is they've clearly said to him, you know, you you against any other player one on one, you're going to win that race. But the yeah. importance is actually when you get into the right position, 
waiting to pick that pass and having that kind of patience that must be a really tricky thing to have especially when you are that quick and you beat everyone Mm. is knowing that there is that element of the game that you have to work on you have to be patient you have to wait for the other players to kind of be in the right position so that you can make that pass or Mm. obviously go for goal what I actually really like about Traore is that even though he has matured as a player and we've we've clearly seen that in the last few months particularly he's still quite unpredictable yeah. And that's that's scary for opposition, isn't it? The yeah. fact that he is a little bit unorthodox. He's not like it like many other players in the Premier There isn't anyone else like him, really, is there? No, he's and, not. and that unpredictability is quite fascinating for us as as fans to watch because it's scary, isn't it? Because you don't know what he's going to do. And, and I quite like that about him. Yeah, and I, I absolutely agree. He is really exciting. But I think in terms of a player who's developed and is continuing to develop... I think Wolves is almost the perfect club for him to be at because you look at their um, way of recruiting, you look at their financial situation, you look at their position in the Premier League. They're a club that's not as vulnerable to predators as some other clubs round about where they are in in the Premier League. You know, they pay well, Mm. they're ambitious, they're well supported, they've got a plan of where they're going. And I think for someone like, Adama Traore, that, that's that's great because there's not going to be the unbearable pressure for him to go to a top four side, say, next season or whatever. If he continues to progress in the way that he is, I've no doubt that there, there'll be some other big clubs interested. But I think you look at someone like Ruben Neves, for example, or even Raul Jimenez, you, you look at them and with the sort of performance that they've put in, in the, in the Premier League. I think if it was a different club, say if they were, uh, say if Ruben Nevich was at Southampton, for example, and he'd done what he's done in the Premier League for Southampton instead of Wolves, it'd have been sold by now. There's absolutely no doubt about that in my mind. Whereas if, if you are a player and you know you're at a club for a, a greater length of time, it can be very disruptive to, you know, I think have a good spell of form and then expected to produce that move and be expected to produce that on a consistent basis for a bigger club with bigger expectations who are always winning stuff, who are always getting in the Champions League or whatever. I'm not saying he wouldn't like to get in the Champions League, say, next year. Of course he would. But I think for him to move up incrementally, which has clearly worked for him so far in his career, is much better. And that sort of career arc, I think, aligns quite nicely with what Wolves are trying to do and where they're going. Yeah, and I think that it's it has definitely helped in terms of Wolves holding on to all their players and they haven't mm. got the biggest squad, have they? And, no. you know, we look at how many games they've played this season, 39, and everyone's saying Wolves need to buy players, Wolves need to buy players because everyone's going to be absolutely knackered. The important thing for Wolves, like you've just pointed out, Andy, is that last season wasn't a one-off. They've proved, you know, yes, last year we got into Europe, but this season they've proved we can not only keep our position in that top half of the table and kind of push again for, for another European place this season, but we can also handle playing in Europe as well as in the Premier League and still pull out these performances and get these results that they're getting. And mm. and if they continue to do that, they're going to keep holding on to their players and keep attracting even better players as well. So I guess the thing for Wolves this month is another striker would be nice after Cutrone went out on loan to to Fiorentina. But 
I mean, it's, they're always in a difficult position, I think, when it, it comes to rotation, because clearly they were going to need to do that, having started the season so early and being so committed to Europe as well. I mean, we've seen teams start at an early stage in European competition before, um, like Hull, like Burnley, but you never really had the impression that they were all in. That's not the case with Wolves. They clearly have been all in. Um, that's a fight to, to to get in the group stage, and they've they've done a great job since they're in it. And um, you know, I think they could they could do something going forward in um, the Europa League. Or like it has to be said, um, Espanola spending some money and improving their uh, opponents in the last thirty two. So it'd be an even more intriguing tie going forward, even though Wolves remain favourites. I'm just really interested to see what they do because. On one hand, yeah, I think they do need a, a little bit more depth and, you know, who knows what sort of shape, physical and mental shape they will be in the last month, month and a half of the season. But I think the strength of Wolves ever since they've been in the top flight has been, unlike pretty much any other team, apart from, say, as Luke was saying yesterday on the Ramble, Liverpool, you know what you're getting with them. I mean, most people who even like casually watch the Premier League could pretty much name Wolves' typical eleven off the top of their heads, couldn't they? Mm, yeah, there's, there, I think there was a period of time, though, when um, when we look back at how they started the season, that everyone was saying, are they going to be able to manage both playing in Europe and the Premier League? And there was a period of time where I think we were sort of, as fans, looking on and thinking, oh, Wolves could be in a bit of trouble here because their yeah. form in the league started to dip and the only thing you could really blame it on was was Europe. Well, it and, took them a while to get yeah, the first win, didn't it? Yeah it, yeah, it took them a while just to kind of, I think for Nuno to really be able to manage the squad and manage the players and, and who he decided to play for both the European games and the Premier League, who were his core 11. Mm. Um, and then it, it all just started to click and cut and like fall into place eventually. And now you look at them, they're five points off the top four. And Obviously, that's helped with the teams around them having faltered this season and not been as good as I think most of us were expecting the likes of United, Spurs, Arsenal to be, for example. But still, they're five points off a top four place. That is extraordinary and and, and should be commended considering it's only their second season in the Premier League. Absolutely. And the balance between Europe and the domestic commitments is something that you can't really emphasize enough I mean you look at Braga who ended up winning that group I mean and looked really good in that in that group for 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 large part I mean obviously they did the perfect away performance really at Molyneux where they soaked up and soaked up and then and then scored in the in the last quarter of the game but you look at Braga a team who are a lot more used to being in European competition than Wolves consistently in the, the the top three or four in Portugal they lost six of their first 14 and their coach Ricardo Sapinto got, got fired two days before Christmas. Mm. So, you know, I think Nuno has done a, a fantastic job. He's someone who was obviously linked with the Arsenal vacancy when it's come up. But the Wolves are a serious club with serious ambitions. If we wind back a couple of months, if Wolves hadn't managed to get a couple of results and they'd done well in Europe as, as they have and include the win against Bajiktas was a, a, a tremendous result... If they'd have, say, gone 10 without a win, which is, you know, it wouldn't have been a completely impossible situation because it's, it's, it's been tough for them. All of a sudden, Nuno would have been under pressure because they demand a lot there. Yeah, they do. And then you look at the results they've had in the league since then as well, doing the league double over Manchester City. Yeah. I mean, that's just, 
for any team to do that in the league. I don't care who it is. That's an amazing achievement. And so not just that, the double, but the, the way they're finishing games. Yeah. Like, like, for a team that's not meant to have anything left, left in the tank, I know City had 10 men, but to come back like that against City and then do that against Southampton is incredible. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. This episode of the Football Ramble is sponsored by BetterHelp. Life throws many different challenges at us, and as a result, we all have our own sources of stress. Whether big or small, those stresses can impact our lives in unpredictable ways, and if we don't address them, they can have an outsized and unwanted impact. Therapy is a safe place in which we can address these issues, learn to understand them, and find ways to work through them. Having therapy can be beneficial to anybody, not just people who've experienced major traumas, even if you may have not considered it before. It could be simply a time for you to get things off your chest, a way to learn positive coping skills or how to set boundaries. Ultimately, it can be whatever you need it to be. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire and BetterHelp will match you to a licensed therapist. You can even switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash ramble today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com forward slash ramble. You're listening to Jules and Andy on Football Ramble Daily. Keep your questions and all your thoughts coming into us. We love hearing from you on Twitter at Jules Breach, at Andy Brassel, at Football Ramble. Or, of course, you can email us as well, Jules and Andy at footballrambledaily.com. Uh, now, what a treat this is. We've got a midweek round of fixtures Yay. all starting tonight. So there's games tonight and tomorrow as well. Um, and it's also part of if anyone plays fantasy football, you've been waiting for this week. It's the double game week. I'm so bloody excited. I can't even tell you. Um, basically means that Liverpool and West Ham are both playing twice in the space of this game week. And weirdly enough, there's the FA Cup games in between the game week. So it's a little bit strange because West Ham and Liverpool don't play each other until next week, Wednesday. So you've got to wait a whole nother week until that game is played. But it's still part of the same game week with the same amount, same points go all together for that game week. You know, this is just making me think, Jules. I'm, I'm so incredibly unclear. <laughs> <laughs> on, on the rules like next season I'm you need gonna, to play I'm, I'm going to play this and you're going to be Got, my coach okay I'm, I, I, I'm I need so some specialist coaching I'm right so up for that great um, yeah no it's um, it's quite I'll be exciting. Brian Robson you be Terry Venables alright we'll do that and, uh, from the old days <laughs> Um, the thing is, is everyone's got to have three Liverpool players because obviously they're still going for the title. They want to run away with this. They want to get it all done before Champions League starts pretty much. They do. Talking so, of finishing games strongly. Yeah. That, that was that was, that was was ridiculous. Ridiculous. What a game that was as well to watch yeah, on Sunday. Yeah, it, it really was. Um, so yeah, Salah's in my team. Mane's in my team. 
Robertson's in my team and I'm going to use my triple captain chip, which means triple points for the player you captain. And with Liverpool playing twice in the space of a week, it could be big, Andy. This could be my week. So who's your, who's your captain? Uh, I haven't decided who's triple captain yet, but I'm probably going to go Mane over Salah. You see, this is so easy. When you play Fantasy League in the Champions League, you just you just make Ronaldo your captain. It's just that simple. No, see, it's quite it's quite hard in fantasy. You always pick between the same few, but I captained Vardy last weekend and that was a shambles because obviously he missed a penalty. So I got zero points for my captain. At least you're over it. Yeah, at, at least, least I'm over you're it. over there it. There you go. My question is, Jules, with all eyes on uh, tonight's game between Bournemouth and oh, Brighton. I'm so nervous. It's, I'm actually, <laughs> I actually feel a bit sick already. How many, how many Brighton players do you pick? Uh, I've actually got two. I've got right, Matt got? Ryan in goal and yeah. I've got more pay up top. You so. must feel pretty confident. Like, like Bournemouth are in a state at the moment, aren't they? They really are. And you know what? The game, the game is fascinating because Brighton beat Bournemouth. It was only about three weeks ago, I swear. Well, it feels like it was only a couple of weeks ago. And yeah, Christmas, it, wasn't it's it? It's come yeah. round so quickly this game. But both teams are really struggling for form. If you actually look at the bottom of the table, there's just 10 points between the bottom seven clubs and that's excluding Southampton from that who have only got one more point out of that so there's actually 11 points between the bottom eight now it's all very very close I don't necessarily think Southampton are definitely out of the relegation fight because about a month ago we were all saying oh Southampton are going to go down and you can just see how quickly things can change if you put together a run of wins like Southampton have and getting the results that they have over the last few weeks now all of a sudden there are some people who aren't even considering Southampton to go down well if you look at it and you look at Villa who are in the bottom three if they put together the same run they'll be way out of it and then I just think it's still all to play for which makes Bournemouth Brighton such an important game particularly because they're both really struggling for form at the moment Bournemouth obviously more so than Brighton and I I mean with Brighton is it killing games though that's the problem yeah the game management is is a massive issue I think we've dropped around 14 points from winning positions this season right okay and from what I'm seeing on the Twitter sphere at the moment from Brighton fans when I, I was looking after the game at the weekend at what everyone was saying about about the draw with Villa most people were just saying like that were at the Amex that day we just don't know how to kill games off. Yeah. Like we're struggling to actually see a result out. There have been so many times where we've scored, we've gone ahead and we look really comfortable in games. And then all of a sudden we just tend to throw it away. The, the, the Palace one is the obvious one, isn't it? Obviously we went big on that before Christmas here on on Jules and Andy. I, I was so impressed with, with Brighton in that game mainly because watching it with you, I didn't have any option but to be so <laughs> impressed by Brighton. But, you know, it's, it's funny, as you, as you say, the cliche about Brighton is, oh, well, the results are the same for mm. people who just casually watch them. Yeah, well, the we're content, in a worse off position, technically, well, points-wise. The content of the game couldn't, the content of the games couldn't be any more different, could it? Mm. But what is the missing part in terms of, like, seeing those games over the line? Is it... A particular player that's missing, maybe a, a centre forward who's I, I don't know an upgrade from from Glenn Murray, or is it the mentality of the existing players? What do you think? I think it's maybe a combination of both. Interestingly, Graham Potter said after the Villa game that he could potentially play Glenn Murray and Neil Morpé together, which we haven't really seen this season yet in terms of starting them together. So is that an expression of like going for it against Bournemouth because they, they're maybe a bit vulnerable? Well, Bournemouth are definitely vulnerable, aren't they? And I think that, yeah. I think Brighton need to go for it. They absolutely 
have to win this game. It's definitely a must not lose, but I also think in a way it's a must win. Um, But it would be, it would be dreadful if we came away from Vitality without any points. Um, I think that in terms of the game management, one of the interesting things that's been rumbling around the Amex for the last couple of weeks is um, uh, Andy Naylor did a really interesting piece about this in The Athletic last week where he spoke to Graham Potter about the atmosphere at the Amex. Um, Apparently, because I obviously wasn't at the game because I was in the studio for the FA Cup game against Sheffield Wednesday, apparently there was a lot of kind of booing and jeering from the crowd when Brighton went behind. And Graham Potter addressed this in his programme notes and he also addressed this with Andy Naylor in The Athletic and yeah. and, and basically said, like, there are going to be times, we're in a transitional period where the team is still learning to play in a different way, a very different way to how we used to play under Chris Hewton. And he said there are going to be times that there's going to be misplaced passes. You've still got to get behind the boys. You've got to keep them going and and keep the kind of atmosphere positive because apparently it was quite a negative atmosphere during the FA Cup game when Brighton went behind. Yes. And then Paul Barber addressed it in the programme notes for the Villa game at the weekend as well, which I find really interesting. There's obviously some... I've not been to the Amex for the last few weeks. I went right near the start of the season. So it's really interesting to hear that that kind of mood has changed I guess it's because fans are getting frustrated now because it's all good and well that we're playing this nice football and that you know Graham Potter has changed the way we play and it's a lot more exciting and more interesting to watch but actually if you're not getting the results and you're going to end up going down that is going to ultimately frustrate the fans because really we want to stay in the Premier League and that should be the goal yeah don't you think that's a, a thing when it comes to the Premier League in general I mean it's something we've touched on before isn't it the fact that a lot of people talk about how the Premier League atmospheres are are not what they used to be and you know so many um, theories have been put forward for this like ticket pricing I, I think that does play into it but I also think because it's fully clear in fans minds now if you go down it's not just you know a, a sporting embarrassment it's something that could massively affect the very future of your club because mm-hmm. the financials involved are so great. I think that creates attention, not just amongst the players, but amongst the fans. And as you say, probably half of the Premier League, maybe more, their immediate aim is to stay up. And so if that's in the minds of the spectators all the time, I think it's harder and harder to get behind the team. I think it's almost in your mind that, oh my God, what happens if we lose it? Yeah. It's like, you you said it yourself, didn't you? Like, we can't think about leaving the vitality without any points. No, I think the frustrating thing in terms of the game management for Brighton is that what we used to be able to see with our team is that we'd go 1-0 up and then we'd sit back and be able to close the game off yeah. because we'd go into a defensive style. Are you saying South Coast, Atletico Madrid? (laughs) Yeah, exactly like that. (laughs) But actually, this season, what, what we've not seen is that type of game management. It's like we've we've gone 1-0 up or 2-1 up and then continued to play the way Graham Potter wants the team to play, which is great. It's great to watch. But then when you concede a late goal and you end up drawing a game or losing a game, then you come away with no points. And, and that definitely needs to be something that's addressed. And I think that that's where the frustrations are coming from, is that there needs to be a bit of 
a bit of sensibility when it comes to these games now, doesn't yeah. it? Because it's all good and well playing great football and, and being applauded for that. But actually, we need to actually pick up points now. You know, it's easy to forget as well. It's an adjustment for him, isn't it? Like both at Ostersons and at, at Swansea in the championship, everything was geared to pushing towards the top of the table. Now, this for him is the first time, at least the first time in a while, He's got to lock the back door first. Mm. So as you say, he's got to think about things in a totally different way. And as you say, maybe closing out games is 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 something that he has to look at as as, as well as the team. By the way, can I say how weird it is when you say Andy Naylor of the Athletic? I know. I was just expecting you to say Argus. I know. It's been it was so long he was at the Argus, wasn't he? I mean, yeah. I picked up that paper for years reading his articles, but yeah, now he's at the Athletic. Uh, for Bournemouth, though, one of the things I think that I can feel fairly positive about with the game tonight is that they just can't score at the moment. They're they're just they're such a team low in confidence, aren't they? And I know yep. Luke talked about this and and the boys on the ramble yesterday about uh, Steve Cook's amazing save, bless him. Uh, I don't know what he was thinking there, but obviously he he won't be featuring in the game tonight. And they're just a team lacking in so much confidence right now because they can't score. I don't know what's happened to Callum Wilson. He's not scored since September mm. when. A few months ago, we were talking about him Chelsea. making, yeah, well, that and also yeah. the Euros squad. I yeah. definitely was because you look at other other options for strikers, and now with Harry Kane out, if Callum Wilson was firing like he was at the start of the season, you would definitely have picked him over Dominic Calvert Lewin over Danny Ings at the yeah, start yeah, of the yeah. season by a million miles. So it's really weird that he's in this bad spell, and I know it happens with strikers; they go through their little scoring droughts, but. This is really unusual and, and hope, I mean, I'm hoping for, for Callum Wilson's sake because I really like him as a player that he picks that back up, but just not tonight. Just not tonight, please, <laughs> Callum. Um, but yeah, they're really struggling for goals. I think they've scored the fewest amount of goals in the Premier League along with Watford. Who... And at, the, at the other end, no Cook, no Ake. Yeah. That's yeah. tough, isn't it? That's, that's really tough. Um, I think it might be a little tough for Arsenal as well, going to Chelsea tonight. Uh, obviously, that's that's the big one that everyone's going to be looking at today. I, I mean, I, I consider Aston Villa-Watford pretty big, but Chelsea versus Arsenal is, is, is the big one at, at quarter past eight, and it's on, on BT Sport as well. Um, has a bit of the early Arteta joy <laughs> faded from the... The Arsenal fans, especially with that draw against Sheffield United at the weekend. Well, like, there's nothing like a game against Sheffield United to bring you crashing yeah. down to earth, is there? Yeah, well, Tony Adams watched that game on BT Sport oh, with us on Saturday and he was just like, I'm bored, I'm depressed <laughs> watching this. You know, he's such a character, isn't he? He just says it as it is. Um, he just said that they just weren't great. To be fair, I do think that they should have had a penalty. Mm. I think they're a bit unlucky with that. Um, but yeah, I do feel like what if there was a honeymoon period? The honeymoon period does feel like it's over. What one thing I will say is that if Arsenal don't win the game tonight, they can count any chances of top four out. I don't even think that that's that's what their aim is. They're probably just aiming for top six at this stage. But and go and win the Europa League. Yeah, yeah. but I, it looks out so far out of reach. They're ten points behind Chelsea. Yeah, uh, which is. Amazing to me, especially when you consider where they both were at the uh, at the start of the season. I, I mean, with Arsenal, I, th- I think there is an issue. You know, we're talking about closing games out. I mean, clearly that's a a thing for them. You know, you're not, not look not just at that Sheffield United game at the weekend. I mean, they're back to where they were when they played Chelsea 
last time where they led for what most of the game and ended up giving up those two goals towards the end. Okay, fair enough. Jorginho shouldn't have been on the pitch to to, to score the equaliser. And it's quite an uncharacteristic uh, error from Bernd Leno that, that, that led to that. But it is a problem. And I just wonder as well with Arteta, he's still getting to know his... His players, he's still getting to know how to head coach a team, of of, of course. But, you know, you look back to the, the the weekend and the fact that he took off Lacazette and put on Eddie Nketiah. I know that you could say that's good for the brand because, you know, he wants to make the team younger and more dynamic. Lacazette is a guy, even when he's not playing well, he's going to work those, those defenders. That's what he does. That seemed like a really unusual substitution to me. Do you reckon it's a little bit of like, because he's come into the job, Arteta, sort of halfway through the season, do you think he's almost writing the season off? Because he's like, I'm going to take my time with this job. I'm yeah. going to embed myself in. So do you know what? I'm going to experiment with the team for the rest of this season and then we start afresh in the summer. That could potentially be what he's doing there. But you talk about dropping points. What one of uh, I talked about Brighton dropping 14 points from winning positions this season. Arsenal have dropped 13. So they're nearly as bad wow. off as Brighton in terms of going ahead and then not being able to close games out and and you know that whole game management that we just talked about. But what I did find really interesting about that stat is that more than half of those points they've dropped from winning positions has actually come since Mikel Arteta was appointed manager. And when we when he was appointed, one of the things that did impress me is that Arsenal's attitude did seem to change, particularly in the game against Manchester United. You saw that they were a lot more determined to win the game. They played a lot more aggressively. So it's quite interesting to actually see that in, in terms of the actual numbers and statistics, that they've still been dropping points from winning positions despite Arteta coming into the job when mm. I thought that he had changed their mentality. The other thing with the game tonight that Arsenal have got to worry about is they're without Aubameyang and he scored yeah. almost half of their Premier League goals this season, which is an insane amount of kind of pressure and re- that's one player you're relying on to score almost all of your yeah. goals. That's It's a lot of pressure for Aubameyang, but he's obviously suspended for the match and they're going to have to try and do it without him again. I assume he'll probably start with the same three he started with at the weekend. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I do think there's almost, if you're talking about future planning, then maybe being without Aubameyang is, is, is not the worst thing in the world because are they going to have to do without him when it gets to the end of the season? Are they going to have to do make some decisions? I think there's a strong possibility. Mm. I mean, clearly he wants to be in a position where he can win some stuff uh, before the the end of his career. And, um, well, he's, you know, he's, he's not got a big window in which to do that. So if you were him, I, I don't think you'd, you'd be human if you weren't at least thinking about it, a player of, of, of his talent, of, of his ability. But what about Chelsea, though? Because, yeah. I mean, it's remarkable that they're 10 points ahead of Arsenal where they're so relentlessly inconsistent they were just really ground down by uh, Newcastle at the weekend it seemed like Pete was equally joyful <laughs> as he was incredulous when he was talking about it on on, on yesterday's uh, ramble that corner flag <laughs> oh my god but that's how Chelsea must have felt at the end <laughs> yeah, because they were they were on top of things for a, a lot of that game and you, you could tell that Lampard having lived with this team for what two thirds of a season now is now at the point where he's like, can we, can we just get on and learn these lessons, yeah, please? Yeah, it's quite tough to come back from that type of loss as well. It's not like yeah. they, you know, Newcastle went ahead and they pushed and pushed and pushed for the rest of the game to try and get an equaliser but didn't quite get there in the end. 
they were beaten in like the last minute. And that is, that's so tough to come back from, isn't it? Especially when the game, the next game has come around this quickly and it's against one of their London rivals. It's a massive game for the fans. It's going to be really hard for the players to come back from that. Yeah, it is. And I, I think as as well, sometimes when we talk about the, the young players having to learn on the job and, you know, by and large, they've done a magnificent job of doing so. I think sometimes we can forget that players, the senior players, they're playing a very different role to the one that they expected to do when they signed, I think. And I think especially you look at Kepper, for example, who his career plan has totally changed in, in, in the last couple of years because he could have signed for Real Madrid, but then he's like, no, I'm all in. I want to be someone who starts all the time. So I'm going to stay at Athletic, um, sign that big contract with them. And that's why Chelsea ended up paying the enormous fee that they eventually did end up paying for him. He sort of flipped from saying, right, um, not necessarily an athletic lifer, but, you know, near enough, not not far off. I'm I'm in for this club with a long haul. And then six months later on, he decides he's off to Chelsea. And then you go from Sarri to unrest in the terraces to what happened in the League Cup final to Lampard to transfer ban to... You know, it's all been going off at Chelsea, hasn't it? There's, there's a lot happening. And at the same time, you know, there's this debate raging back in Spain over whether he or De Gea should, should be the number one goalkeeper. A lot of people have believed for a long time that it's Kepa. But Kepa was always, when he arrived, an overpriced developing goalkeeper because they were paying for the future, not for the now. But now he's expected to step up. He's expected to meet the expectation of that transfer fee. He's expected to be a senior player in a team that's lacked a lot of seniority for a, a lot of the season because especially you think of the injury to Rudiger, I think that's affected um, the, the, the way that Kepa has, has governed things. And, you know, you'll see goals like, like that Isaac Hayden winner and people understandably are asking questions about it. Yeah. But... You look at him, you look at his age, you look at his career arc, it's, it's normal. Is he always going to be in a position where Chelsea expect or Chelsea fans expect far too much of him too quickly and will it allow him to develop and get to the place where he wants to go? Mm, you talk about Chelsea fans as well. The game is obviously at Stamford Bridge tonight yeah. where they've not been great this season. Chelsea have been far better away from home this season, haven't they? And I think you talk about the unrest under Sarri last campaign where the fans were so unhappy. They were really not enjoying the football last year. Well, this season, I know that it is transitional. It's Frank Lampard's first season in charge at Chelsea and the fans are naturally going to give him a bit more time and going to be more patient with him, particularly with the transfer ban. But Chelsea have already lost as many Premier League games this season as they did in the whole of last season. And we're, what, 60% of the way through the season at the moment? So, you know, I think that the fans will really want to see a result tonight. Not only is it against Arsenal, where they're desperate to get a win anyway, but at home, they need to kind of put those demons to bed, don't they? Of everyone kind of criticising their performances at home. And a win tonight against their rivals in London will do them the world of good, won't it? Yeah, absolutely. Right, before we get out of here, um, some of your correspondence... 
Uh, we've got a tweet here from AKA Hattrick. Will Man U actually buy anyone? This should be in capital letters. I can feel the anger. Or is Ole telling us the truth of empty promises of the board? Sure, we have money, uh, but they only want to spend it on certain players and don't care where we finish this season. That feels to me like someone who's seen... Erling Brat Holland score a hat trick. I was just about to say that. I said uh, the weekend. after seeing that debut for Dortmund from Helen. I mean, uh, off the bench as well. There's something about when it's your debut and you come off the bench and you score a hat trick. Unreal. Like, what a debut that was. Yeah, incredible. It's, it's incredible. could have gone any better, could it? I think it's the weekend as well when we find out where... Uh, Marcus Rashford's injury is more serious than we thought. That's the problem as mm. well. And um, Solskjaer... like three months, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. It's an issue for England as well, isn't it? It is a massive issue. And obviously we've been talking loads about the Kane issue for England. People were suggesting that Rashford could be the perfect replacement. I know that he prefers to play on the left, doesn't he? But yeah. Sancho can fill that place, can't he? And then Rashford can play down the middle. It's all set up for exactly. Dortmund to win, not just through getting Holland, <laughs> but through making a truckload of cash from Sancho. There you go. Hooray. There you go. Um, we've also had this tweet. Um, this is from Jamie, Man United Tarrant. I don't know if you remember on, was it last week's pod or the week before, we had a tweet from Jeff Holt who asked us to come up with our top three footballers with the same initials as us. So mine would obviously be JB, yours would be AB Andy. And mm-hmm. Jamie on Twitter has kindly suggested a couple for me. He said, um, just had a think and thought of Jerome Boateng, yep. who we obviously talked about last time. Jude Bellingham, who I think is a great shout, obviously, nice. especially after scoring at the weekend for Birmingham. And he also said my personal favourite, James Brown, formerly of Hartlepool. Um, and I just wanted to talk about Jude Bellingham because what a player he has and what a future ahead he's got as well. And it kind of relates to that tweet you just read out, Andy, because Jude Bellingham, he's a 16-year-old midfielder who can score goals. He's absolutely brilliant for Birmingham and he became Birmingham's youngest ever player this season and goal scorer this season. So he's clearly lighting things up in the championship for Birmingham fans, but he's been linked with Manchester United. And I think he's a player that United fans would love to see there, particularly because they like young players as well. And they like to kind of build for the future. 16 years old. I think he'd be a great shout for United, but I don't want to upset Birmingham fans by saying that. (laughs) (laughs) They'll be grateful of the money. uh, I think at this point in time, I I think they're realistic. You could, you could have Jose Bordelas of uh, Getafe managing your team. I think. Okay. What a coach. What a coach. Oh my goodness. And what about yours? Three players? Okay. Well, I already had uh, Andreas Bremer from last week, of course, a scorer of the winning goal in the 1990 World Cup final. Ashley Barnes. Oh, Ashley Barnes. He's just had his hernia operation. For a bit of rough stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Ashley Barnes. Ex-Brighton, go on. um, For the children of Football Italia, I will go for uh, Abel Balbo of uh, Roma fame as well. Very nice. Very nice. Jeff, we finally got to it. We told you we'd get there eventually. I'm going to get to full 11. This, this has set something <laughs> okay, alight in my brain. That's the plan. Yeah, thanks so much for your correspondence. Keep it coming. At Andy Brassel, at Jules Breach. Did you forget your name there? <laughs> no, I normally say yours first. And I accidentally said mine first. Okay, let's just keep it regular. At Jules Breach, at Andy Brassel, at Football Ramble. And the email is julesandandy at footballrambledaily.com. Yeah, make sure you tune in. BT Sport tonight, we've got an extra score show and we'll be showing some of the Yay. goals from the Premier League games as well. So looking forward to that. And by the way, triple captain, I've decided I'm going Mane. Yeah, you gotta. Thanks. You gotta. Wish me luck.
This was a Stakhanov production.